The biggest hurdle between me and eating healthy, delicious meals for lunch is decision fatigue. Honestly, by the time lunchtime rolls around, I've already made like a thousand decisions from what my toddler should wear to how much I want to argue with her about how you have to brush your teeth in the morning, you know? <laughs> for sure, for sure. No, I absolutely agree. And like I have taken to doing meal preps or like buying a bunch of ready to eat meals to like heat up quickly. And I recently tried Factor. And let me tell you, Factor is like 12,000 steps above and beyond any ready to meet eat meal I have ever tried before. That's right. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef curated, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started and get after your goals. I tried the two-minute meals where I could fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. And they also offer pancakes, smoothies, and more. There's a wide variety of easy options throughout the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Plus, there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup required. Factor is also flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor is the perfect solution when you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And you don't want to make any more decisions because you're exhausted, like me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 and use code justbreakup50 to get 50% off. That's code justbreakup50 at factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 to get 50% off. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like fighting for someone who is choosing not to be with you, <laughs> being stubbornly single, and uh, the mythical pity party. Mm. But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that Sierra and I are not licensed mental health practitioners or relationship advice people. Uh, we are just two Geminis who've read a lot of books and decided that we were going to tell people what we thought about their relationships. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't even read a lot of books. I just like read some of them and then had Sam just describe <laughs> the plot to me or whatever. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> um, yes. This is all to say we are not professionals. Please take our advice as you see fit. Uh, we are just here to offer our humble musings to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. All right, Sam, you got this week's check-in topic. I do. All right, so this letter comes from uh, a letter writer, obviously, um, whose name is Miss Maiden Name, whose pronouns are she, her, and who is writing from the city of keeping surnames. 
And basically, uh, the letter writer asks about keeping your surname when you get married. Uh, yeah. Speaking from what is a uh, heterosexual relationship, um, or at least like a opposite sex relationship, although our sex is opposite. I don't... She's marrying a man. She's a woman. She's marrying a man. Uh, let me just say that. And then... Um, and basically, they are um, both children of Greek uh, immigrants who sort of have a traditional outlook on gender roles. And um, her fiance's uh, family is asking her about, okay, when are you going to to take uh, your fiance's name? What is that going to look like? How is that going to happen? Yeah. And she's like, yeah, I mean, it's fine to be like called Mrs. whatever his last name is, um, sort of like in the family. But... I have a life outside of this where I already have like established some a reputation with my name. Yeah. I've published articles and with my current name. And I'm not super interested in changing it because like fuck the patriarchy and like what is it what does it matter? Why does this need to happen? So it's really just a question about like what should I take this person's name? How do we feel about taking people's names? Like what is it about this institution of marriage that requires uh women to like erase themselves from yeah. <laughs> their own identity and take on the the identity of the person that they're marrying. So uh, that's really the question is just some, some yeah. an opportunity for us to muse on this practice to musing, of, musing, musing, yeah, right. um. <laughs> <laughs> of taking names, not taking names. What, yeah. And what how to of... navigate it with family members who are maybe, you know, not really comfortable or, or like are presuming that you want to take that name on, um, and how to like have that awkward conversation with them. So you and I did opposite things. Um, <laughs> True. But we also, we didn't quite do the traditional thing. So you and your husband kept your own original last names. And me yep. and my wife, we hyphenated um, because, well, I guess tell me why you guys didn't take each other's names. Um, I think because of the fact that we... Um, are both sort of <laughs> men are masculine presenting, right? So it was like not really a question of like mm -hmm. who would take each other's last name. It's more just like, well, duh, we would both keep them. Like no one ever asked me. I mean, people did ask me, but it was never presumed that anyone, yes. either of us would take each other's last name. Yeah. Um, And I do think it was easier for us because like the fact that, um, you know, like they're, the, the gender role wasn't there for us to like have to figure it out. Like it wasn't presumed in any way. So yeah, we thought about like merging our names as like a joke <laughs> to Blackowski. <laughs> That's a great that, last name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but then all the rigmarole around that. So like, what is yeah. it? And also like, we're not, we're not planning on having children either, which I know is like also a thing that comes up for folks. It's like, mm -hmm. well, then one of us will have, the, or one of us won't have the child's last name or like the child will have like a 17 letter long hyphenate because of that. And like, yeah, who you looking right at me about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, Luckily, I'm going to count, we'll... <laughs> count our last name letters right now while you're talking. <laughs> I remember once in like elementary school, we were doing some sort of exercise where we all had to like line up by the number of letters in our last names. Um, and it was like, and there was one kid in my class whose whose mother had not taken the last name of of the, his father, and so like his was a hyphenate, and so it would be like 
Like kids <laughs> that were like, boop, boop, boop. We were all sort of like stacked up until like about like eight or nine letters. Like I think Blackwell was like one of the, the highest yeah. numbers and then like a huge gap. And then this kid had like, <laughs> 20 letters in his last name. <laughs> hey, power to the mom in that scenario. Oh, absolutely. I counted and my my child will have it's 14 letters to Mulder Ayers, oh. including the, including the hyphen, including the hyphen. That's manageable. That's manageable. <laughs> well, you brought this up, um, but I think Willow and I were interested in taking each other's name um because uh I like the symbolism of the hyphenated name, you know, like the the merging of the life, you know, the symbolism mm-hmm. of it, not like the actual weird history of it. Um, and I wanted to have children. Like we knew we wanted to have children going into our marriage. And we, right. especially as a queer couple, we felt like um, that would like, sell it a little bit more legally, you know, like that sounds strange, but you know, I just, I knew, you know, if Willow, Willow's on the birth certificate, but also like we have to go through extra legal measures to make sure that she has parental rights because she is not a birth parent. Um, And I think uh, her and our daughter sharing the last name, it was important to us on that front. Um, That's a, that's a hurdle that is somewhat like imagined or like, to my own preference and also to the fact that we're in a queer relationship. I think in general, like I agree with the letter writer, like the letter writer was like, it's not that I wouldn't, I just like, don't want to, I just don't want to like change my name. (laughs) And I think that that is so important to highlight. Like um, we have this history of this tradition um, that we just sort of like imbue importance upon or imbue like solidity, like that is there forever. And so we have to do it forever. Um, but I, I can't imagine like changing my last name. In fact, like when I did For get sure. married, I stopped, uh, I was, I like joked about saying like, uh, welcome to Just Break Up. My name is Sierra DeMolder Ayers. Uh, but I, I didn't want to change my public um, persona, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm publishing a book next year and that's going to come out as Sierra de Mulder, not my legal name, Sierra de Mulder heirs. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I think there are all sorts of reasons about this. Oh, this question made me think of a couple other examples. You joked about like the Bukowski, but I actually know a couple who like invented their own <laughs> last name. Yeah, too. Um, yep. And I think that was pretty cool because they like didn't have strong familial connections. Um, and in fact, like one of them like didn't feel connected to her birth father. And so they took like parts of their, both of their last names and merged them into a new name. And another example from a wedding that my wife just went to, um, the one of two grooms who was sort of estranged from his family because of like homophobic reasons felt really loved and accepted and welcomed into his husband's family and like was so Mm. honored to become like a part of the family in that, in that namesake way, um, which I thought was really beautiful. And also like I, it to, to each their own. I think it's a, it's a patriarchal weird leftover of like the institution of marriage that goes back to like property (laughs) for sure you know it's like that and it can be symbolic or meaningful to you at the same time or it could mean nothing to you right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and i think um 
talking about it with people who are older than us is also like kind of challenging. So I like, I yeah. feel for the, the letter yeah, writer. Totally. Like I know that there were a lot of people in, I have a friend who also just like, was like new last name for both of us. Um, yeah. and just like talking to, um, particularly his parents about that was really challenging. Cause they were like, well, why don't you want your last name? Like it's part of a legacy. Mm. Like, um, and this like really strong attachment that people have to their last names, which I understand for sure. Um, and I think it's like, you know, it can be a really good thing to have connection to where we come from and who we come from and all of that good stuff as well. Um, but I, I do think like it is challenging to, to talk to folks who presume that this is the best or only way to operate and be like, actually, I kind of want to do something different. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not super interested in changing my name legally because that's a lot of work and I don't want to. <laughs> and I think to talk about it with other people while it can be difficult and uncomfortable, I think you can start with just some like basic scripts like, well, I didn't really feel pulled to take this person's name or, um, you know, I feel really uh, connected to my name because of X, Y, and Z or end it at the end of that sentence. I feel really connected to my name, so I didn't really want to change it. Um, mm -hmm. And just sort of like sitting in that, the the simultaneous like discomfort and empowerment of knowing what you want and knowing that that is not established by other people's comfortability with it, you know, or like their, their acceptance of it. Like, yeah, like your Greek um, family in-laws, they might come from a tradition where that is, it's unheard of to not take the husband's name. Right. And so you're right. going to be, you're going to be opening their eyes to a new possibility. Right. And that new possibility might be confusing to them or scary or, um, I don't know, blasphemous. I don't know. I'm trying to think <laughs> of all the adjectives I can think of. Um, and also, uh, if you stay firm and confident in your choice about your name, the thing that you have been called your whole life, um, mm -hmm. I think that that will weather over time, right? Their, their resistance to it will weather over time. Do you agree? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, who knows? I don't know these people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, um, it's going to get, it's going to be crunchy until it's smooth, right? Like, yeah. it's just going to be one of those things where it's like, yeah, you're going to have to answer this question over and over again from people. And the answer can be, yeah, I just chose not to. Right. Yeah. Like that can, that can be the answer. Um, because it's really nobody's business, but yours and your husband's why this is happening. Um, and that can be challenging. Right. But, but if that is the boundary that you have, or that's sort of the only amount that you want to give people, like that's your prerogative. Yeah. People can ask you over and over again. You can be like, yeah, I don't just didn't feel like it. Or yeah, yeah I don't know. We just chose not to <laughs> mm -hmm. like, it can be, it can be that simple. Mm -hmm. Will people be okay with that? Probably not, but like, that's, that's their own business, right? Like that's right. their own thing. Like they, they need to work that out for themselves why they, yeah. they feel like they need or deserve to know uh, this information. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'll also say zooming out from this specific letter writer, like to the, to the more universal, like to anybody out there trying to make this decision for themselves, if it doesn't feel right, just know 
that you have time. You could change it later in life. You know, you could change it a year at your first anniversary. You could never change it. You could hyphenate it one day. You know, like um, if it doesn't feel right or like if there's something like whispering inside you that you're like, oh, but I like my name, you know, but there's this tradition. Uh, you can like take your time. You don't have to lean into it. Just, be, just because we've seen this thing done upon, you know, year after year after year of like the history of marriage, right? Um, doesn't mean it was necessarily the right choice to begin with. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Cause it comes from the idea that like women don't have any autonomy yeah. outside yeah. of their fathers and their husbands. So like yeah. this, this notion of like passing or women taking men's name is like inherently tied to yep. the idea that women are things to be owned by the yeah. men in their lives. Yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah. Not a great history for so sure. So in my <laughs> marriage, we just own half of each other. Yeah. <laughs> you own each other. It's very yeah, cute. Yeah, yeah. It's like a little, yeah. No, you no, like, no, no. It's like you like holding each other's hands. It's like r- Russian dolls of owning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I know that was like, all could basically be boiled down to like, it's cool to like your name um, or do whatever you want. <laughs> but that's, that is the essence of this. And that's also the essence of like, you know, doing something against the grain, you know? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Sam said, it's going to be crunchy until it's smooth. Um, but you get to dictate whether or not you want to do that. It's your life. It's your agency. Um, mm-hmm. And also like there's pressure and stress around that. Don't get, don't get me wrong. Like Sam and I get that. For sure. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. You want to get into this week's letters? Let's do it. Okay, the first letter is from Emotional Booty Call, whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing to us from My Soulmate's Safety Net. Dear Sam and Sierra, hello, my loves. First, thank you so much for your podcast and the work you put into it. I've learned so much about myself and relationships through your kind insight and the example. And your example has taught me how to be a more empathetic person in general. I really appreciate you guys and your voices have kept me company in some of my lonelier moments, which is an absolute blessing. I'm currently on a mission to listen through your entire back catalog because I love you guys. (laughs) I love that. And your insights so dearly and also work it and also work a boring data entry job, LOL. Uh, So wish me luck. I do wish you luck. And thanks for listening. Second, let me start with the good news first. I have found the partner of my dreams. He, 31 male, he, him, and I, 27 female, she, her, met three years ago at work when we would often visit each other's desks and flirt to pass the time. Even when COVID forced us all to work from home, we would make an effort to interact in the work chats to stay in contact. But almost a year ago now, we happened to be working in the office on the same day after our office pandemic restrictions were lifted and he invited me out for drinks. We stayed out for three hours catching up up and even went out the next day on another four to five hour date where we grabbed dinner and went to a bookstore as we are both active readers. Since then, we've hung out practically every weekend and text every day. We even text each other our Wordle scores every morning as a way to check in with each other despite the busy schedules we each have and tell each other good morning. He is so absolutely incredible to me. He makes an active effort to get along with all my friends who all love him. He is thoughtful at matching my emotional needs and really makes an effort to make our relationship work. 
We have similar interests, same goals for the future, same life background, etc. He has helped me work through my detached attachment style. I support him in his insecurities and anxieties. And we've really worked hard to reach a point of secure attachment with each other. He is truly my dream man, someone my lonely heart and soul manifested after years of poor relationships. And he makes me a better human just by existing in my life. Even if he wasn't the love of my life, he'd be one of my best friends I've ever had. And I'm so grateful that the universe brought us together. Now for the bad news. He already has a girlfriend of six years. Mm. Let me tell you Y'all about that hairpin <laughs> turn. <laughs> oh, God. I am well aware that this means I am the willing other woman in this emotional affair. I tried for the first two years of knowing him to smother this crush, knowing that he had a girlfriend, but he is such a positive influence on my life that all of my previous attempts to hard hashtag block, block, block him only resulted in more misery for me, especially since I always felt like he shouldn't be punished by losing a friend just because my stupid heart fell in love with him. I've even tried dating other guys, but no one else can compare to him and the time we spent together and now he makes and how he makes me feel. My only defense is that he rarely talks about his current girlfriend to the point where other coworkers don't even know her name. And in the three years I've known him, I've only met her four times and only in group settings. This makes it very easy to pretend she doesn't exist. However, every time I try to discuss his relationship with her or even establish the identity of our relationship more fully, he doubles down on us just being friends. I know that I need to move on for my own personal sanity. I'm heartbroken every time he reminds me that he's building a life with his, per- with his current girlfriend rather than me. Like when he tells me about trips that are going on that are months in the future, or even if he tells me he's watching TV with her when we're texting. Sometimes I'll even get upset if he uses the word we, because I know he's talking about her, even if it's in the most neutral statement. I know that if I want a relationship with a man where I can build a future with him and my guy is unwilling to provide it for me, then I deserve to find someone who will. I deserve to find someone who chooses me as much as I choose them. But I have no doubt in my mind that if my guy was single, we would be dating and building a future together like I want. He does choose me when he can and even makes more of an effort than some of my closest friends to spend time with me. From our conversation, he's implied that he's unhappy in his current relationship, but can't afford to break up with her for one reason or another, likely financial as they own a house together, and they have already decided that they're not going to get married. I know that he doesn't have the same support system that I do to help him navigate this emotionally complex situation, which is likely his hesitancy in investing fully in our relationship. I know that I also give him mixed signals when mixed signals he gives me puts me on the defense mode and I'm working on it, but it's so hard to tell him I love him when he automatically pretends that he knows nothing of our connection as as soon as I try. It makes me feel crazy that I'm imagining this entire relationship with him, even though his actions are different from his words. This makes it hard for me to move on because I know I'm so, so close to being able to be officially with my dream man. He just needs someone who is not me or all my friends to tell him that his current relationship isn't sustainable, especially if he needs to keep calling on his perpetually single girlfriend, AKA me as an emotional booty call to fulfill his needs for emotional intimacy. 
Sam and Sierra, do you have any advice for me and my perpetually heartbroken little heart? Am I a terrible person for continuing our friendship despite my love for him? Do I need to directly tell him that I'm in love with him when I already know chances are high that I'll be rejected and my confession will only complicate his life further? What responsibility do I have in this affair if I'm single and he's the one choosing to spend time and grow in emotional intimacy with me rather than her? Do I owe it to him to provide a formal breakup before I start dating randos on dating apps to try to move on from him? For the record, I did recently switch jobs away from the job we shared, so we are no longer co-workers. Also, he told me that dating co-workers was a deal breaker for him. We did discuss polyamory as a concept, not directly for our situation, and we both agreed that polyamory wasn't for us. I told him I wanted to get married one day, and after that, he told me he'd be willing to get married for the right girl, despite already telling me that he was not planning on marrying his current girlfriend. So he's willing to work with my boundaries too. As a bonus, my therapist also thinks we should get together. If my therapist, my friends, and complete strangers we meet on our not date dates think we should be together, then it's still worth fighting for, right? Thank you again for your insight and for reading my lengthy letter. I sincerely appreciate you guys in my life and hope you have a lovely day. Love you. Emotional booty call. All right. Emotional booty call. Thank you so much for writing. Um, And I do want to just say uh, it is really challenging to be in love with a friend, especially if that friend is dating someone else. And especially if it feels like that emotional intimacy that you both share as friends is something that you're not getting from other people or feels like it's like a a level above what like a normal friendship would look like. Um, And it's, it's hard to be in this game of like a little push and pull, like, or is this happening? Is this not happening? Um, You know, maybe I just have to tell him in the right way or, Oh, he just needs to break up with this person. Like that's, that's an uncomfortable and like, just emotionally, mentally, psychologically taxing position to be in. So um, I'm sorry that you're you're going through this. Um, I'm glad that you two have found each other as friends because it sounds like you are really connecting with each other. But what a what a tricky and and sticky situation to be in. Yeah, and I also want to say like our repeated refrain, which is that like we are not in your body. I don't know what, I don't know what your conversations are like. I don't know what this flirting is like. I don't know how he honors his relationship. Like we are not there. So we are only basing this on our, you know, this one dimensional letter that we have. Hmm. And I say this with love. He sounds like a really good friend. He sounds like (laughs) this is a good friendship for him. And why I'm leading with that is that like, I just want to open this conversation up with like examples from my life. You know, I get emotional intimacy from my friends. You know, Mm -hmm. I get a ton of emotional support from my friends. And just because he is getting it from you doesn't mean he doesn't necessarily get it from his partner. And I know, again, like, we don't know the ins and outs. You said, like, he's sort of said he's unhappy with his relationship. But I just want to make sure that I'm painting the other side of the picture, which is, like, when something's going on in my life, I text Sam and Spencer, right? When Mm -hmm. some, when I, you know, Sam or Spencer and I have texted about the new therapist that we're seeing, right? Mm -hmm. And we've talked about, like, our issues with our parents, you know, like, I, 
I just want to be clear that I talk about vulnerable. Th- you you hear me talk about really vulnerable things <laughs> with sure. with one of my best friends on this show, and right. he provides so much emotional intimacy for me and such a space for me to grow and be affirmed and and to have my emotions be safe and and explore them, and and they are a hundred percent platonic to me, um, and we still that's a huge part of our relationship, and so I'm 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 leading this with this because what you've written tells me that he is repeatedly not only choosing to stay with his girlfriend, um, they've invested in a future together. Not only are they making plans, but they bought a house, yada, yada. Um, But also he keeps affirming that you're such a good friend. You know, Mm -hmm. I text Spencer every day. I text Spencer every day. I don't, Granted, I don't text Spencer a good morning, you know, wordle text. Like, again, we don't know the nuances of this. I'm just trying to paint it. I'm trying to paint the picture as broadly as possible so you can take away what what fits you. Um, uh, I don't text uh, Spencer my wordle score every day or like good morning every day. But we do text probably every day. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it is good morning. I also have friends that I text my Wordle score to uh, most days, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I, um, and I also have friends that I talk to about my relationship with Peter in a way where I'm like venting about some of the frustration or the challenges that I might be experiencing mm. with him. But that doesn't mean that my relationship with Peter isn't healthy and sustainable and continuing, right? And you. I just want to create space for the fact that like, there's a lot of assumptions in this letter, at least the way that I'm reading it, right? Again, I'm not in your body. I'm not part of these conversations, but this idea that he's not getting the emotional intimacy that he needs from his partner, that the fact that they're not getting married means something about the strength of their relationship, Mm. right? Or about the fact that like he, he is unhappy and wants to get out, but he can't, right? Like, but you don't know the details of that, which is also right. like- Or if he had a different support system, he would leave. For her. sure, he would, yeah. Or if like, yeah, exactly. If his friends were there to tell him that this isn't a good match that they, and it's like, again, like it sounds like you two are really close and you're having all sorts of conversations, but that is just one glimpse. You have one glimpse into the life of this man who has an, a ha, has a rich emotional world that you are not privy to because you are not in his body and you are not living his life. And so he may be telling you particular things about your life. There may be particular things that you that he talks about with you in particular ways, but that doesn't mean that he's not happy in his relationship. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have friends or family who are looking at his relationship and saying, this is a really good fit. You two seem to be getting along really well. Mm. Or that he has friends and family that are like actually saying to him, maybe this isn't the relationship for you, but he's saying, actually it is. I actually want to be with this person, right? We don't know any of that. And there's a lot of assumptions in your letter about the fact that he's unhappy. And if he were in a different place, he would break up with her and be happy with you, Mm -hmm, which again mm -hmm. is like another big assumption here, Mm -hmm. right? Like you two have a really, what seems like a really great emotional connection as friends and former coworkers, but that does not mean he's your soulmate. And it does not mean that a relationship between you two, a romantic one would be good or beneficial. It doesn't even mean that he would be even interested Mm -hmm. in a romantic relationship with you even if he were single, mm-hmm. right? So there's like this story that you have in your head about like 
but for this one thing, we would be happy and in love with each other, which is a thing that people who have avoidant attachment styles do. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> right? Uh, we I was tend to fixate. If you bring that up. <laughs> yeah, we tend to fixate on people who are not available to us as a way to say, oh, that's the person for whom I would get attached, <laughs> right? That's yes. the person who I would find and we would become this emotion of this perfectly emotionally attached couple. Yes. Right? It's a it's a it is a a coping mechanism for us to maintain our, our avoidant attachment styles, right? Because then when we start dating people, we're like, oh, but I, it's not like this person and that person is the person that would be the perfect attachment yeah. for me. So this person that I'm dating clearly isn't it. Doesn't It doesn't feel the same way. He doesn't look the same way. All of these different things. So we can continue to be avoidant yes, because we have this thing that would be, but for this thing, would be perfect for us. Yes. So I want you to like dig into that a little bit, but I also want you to see this narrative that you're telling yourself about how we would be perfect except yeah. for these things, but that's not true. It's absolutely yeah. not true. I'm just like saying that out loud to you, right? Like maybe it is possible, but it is not the only truth that's available. Maybe it, it might not even be likely that that is the thing that would happen. Yeah, absolutely. Being friends with someone or even being in an emotional affair with someone is way different than having an actual long-term relationship with someone. Absolutely. It's way different. We're talking about not even different playing fields. And this I'm not trying to shoot down your feelings. Your feelings are so real and they're valid. Absolutely. I want to like I want to make a clarifying point when I called him a good friend earlier, I meant he is a close friend. I'm not sure that this is a <laughs> this is a good friendship, um, or uh, who knows? Maybe it is. Again, like I can't. Either this guy like totally knows that you're in love with him, and he's just like letting you live in this gray area forever, or he has repeatedly told you that he has a girlfriend. You guys are just great friends. He loves being close to you. He's leaning on this intimacy in a way that is confusing for you, and so mm -hmm. so then we have to like set up better boundaries in our heart in our hearts and in our in our lives. For sure. I can't tell where he is. And like, I'm sure there are listeners that are like, tear him down, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> burn him. <laughs> um, Absolutely. And I, I don't, I honestly, part of me wants to say that, like maybe he knows he's letting you live in this gray area and like, and, and taking advantage of how close you are um, because it feels good to get this from you in addition to whatever he's getting from his relationship or, but even, yes, exactly. But he's like, not, I would say that he's not even taking anything from you that is inappropriate, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. He is treating you like a very close friend. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Like, and he's really clear that you're just friends, right? Mm -hmm. Like nothing that you said to me is like, Ooh, that crosses an emotional line. It's just like, this man is really yeah. happy with your friendship, right? Yeah. Like wants to spend time with you wants to chat with you every day, is really clear that he's dating someone and that you two are just friends, right? And yep. he may know that you're in love with him, but he's not the first person to maintain a friendship with yep. someone who is in love with them. And not the and the fact that he's putting clear boundaries around like, we're just friends, to be clear, we're just friends. This isn't going anywhere. I have a girlfriend. We are together, right? Like, yeah. is to me like a very appropriate way to handle a situation with somebody who you may have feelings for yeah. you. People may disagree with that. I totally understand that. Yep. Pe some people might say like, no, you should just not be friends with them anymore. But I think that what he's doing 
is at least in one of the realms of appropriateness that that, yeah. that might exist in a relationship well, I, like this. I, what I wonder is like, you know, well, no, I was just going to say like maybe his girlfriend doesn't like that they text all the time and hang out all the time. But again, like I text Spencer all the time. And if we lived in the right. same city, we would hang out all the time. Um, and I also want to speak just again to like expand perspective. I didn't hang out with Spencer's wife uh, for like the first five years of our friendship. Like, <laughs> right? it just didn't, our paths didn't cross like that, you know? And if it did, yeah. it was like a, hi, I'm Sierra sort of way, you know, or like less than I can count on one hand for five years. And I never thought that Spencer was sort of separating that part of his life in a questionable way. Although I know people do that. The fact that all of his coworkers don't know her her name, it's like, it's like the tiniest little orange flag to me, but also people have different bounds. You know, I just, I'm not there. I don't know. Especially at work too, right? Like, there's there's stuff around like what you share with your coworkers and what you don't share with your yeah, coworkers, yeah. right? But like, you know those people who like keep their private life really private, and you're like, why are you doing that? Is this because you're making questionable I think that's choices? Me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, but also like, so I'm leaning more towards what we've been saying before. But I do want to acknowledge like that is like a mildly eyebrow raising. But like again, I didn't hang out with Spencer's wife for like five years, and now we text each other memes about Excel spreadsheets. Um, <laughs> just a little personal what a, shout what out a to beautiful Katie. Emotion, <laughs> beautiful emotional connection you've made with her. <laughs> It's special to me. Um, anyway, so uh, uh, yes, going back into my empathy, which is never left for you because of what I'm about to say, unrequited love is hard. Being in this is. situation is hard. It's hard on your heart. You literally said it's worth fighting for, right? And what you meant mm. by that is it's worth staying in this non-relationship for the crumbs, the hope, this this tiny shining light of a potential future relationship if he decides to leave his current partner and then when he's single decides down the line when he's ready to date that he might want to date you and that that mm. date would turn into a good relationship. Like that is that is how spread thin you are right now is that you are you are hanging on to this love because of the the tiniest needle at the end of that hypothetical thread you know um and that's exhausting um it's it's tiring and it's also safe to idolize someone that we can't be with it's safe for our heart when we're afraid of getting like i know this hurts but it also hurts in a way that we can like control you know like uh, mm-hmm. It hurts in a way of like, oh, I'm gonna, I want to pine for this. I want to, I want to hold out for this person instead of sitting in that really nasty misery and grief of actually blocking him or of actually saying, I'm sorry, yep. I, I love you. I can't have this friendship like this anymore because my feelings are not reciprocated and it's just not a safe friendship for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. You honestly, like my biggest piece of advice is you deserve some space from this relationship so that you can sort of recategorize it in your brain or, you know, mm-hmm. assess the health of it. And one of your lines was like, I want to be, you know, I feel bad that if I black, black, blocked him, I'd be punishing him by l- losing a friend. 
you know, sure, that's noble. But like, where are you in that? Where, mm, where are your okay. needs? Because we could stay if we if we if we didn't prioritize our own needs and our own wellness and our own love lives. Right. Let, let me just say that explicitly. Like if we didn't prioritize your opportunity to meet someone else, then we you could stay in this middle ground forever. He could you he, you could be his best friend forever. And guess what? Mm-hmm. Down the line, they could get married and you could be in their wedding. You know, mm-hmm. this is what we're talking about. I'm not saying don't be friends with this dude. Cause I don't, I don't know what's at play here. <laughs> like, I don't know his maliciousness or not. You know, I don't think he's malicious at all. I just mean like, I don't know what red flags are being thrown on the play. You know what I mean? <laughs> For sure. And also I, know that you need you for your own health and wellness need space from him so that you can better assess what you get out of this relationship and, and maybe change that equation a little bit. I, I also really, before I pass the ball to Sam, a couple sports metaphors in this. Woo. Ooh. <laughs> before I pass it to Sam, I just want to say like, I genuinely want your friends and your therapist to advocate a little bit better for you because Same. if my friend was in love with somebody who was unavailable to them for three years and I saw that preventing them from seeking happiness elsewhere or if I saw that repeatedly hurting them, I would want to say something to them. I would be like, I oh, have absolutely. a podcast for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm reminded of that interview that we did with Virgie Tovar and and the radical self-acceptance uh, sort of mantras that she talked about. And one of them was like really naming things explicitly for yourself. And so I want you to name explicitly that you are choosing to pursue and fight for a man who is actively choosing to not be in a relationship with you. Yeah. Right. Like that's what's happening here. And I want you to say that out loud because I want you to, I want you to sit in the, how rough that is, right? Like how hard and challenging that is. Um, and to recognize the fact that like, this is just such a shitty situation. And I think um, this, this story that you've told yourself around like, oh, but for, oh, this just needs to happen. Oh, I just need to wait for this is, is a way to try and save you from the, the, pain that is being in love with someone who's choosing to be with someone else, right? Like Mm -hmm. just what a shitty situation to be in. It is so hard to do that. And often what we do in those types of situations is to tell us ourselves all of these different things about how it could be, or it will, or whatever it is. But I want you to sit in the discomfort and the pain of this reality so that you can make some choices about how you want to move forward with it. Right. Yeah. I know that it felt miserable to block this man. Of course it did. Yes, it's not course. supposed to feel good, Mm-mm. right? It's not supposed to be like, oh, I feel so relieved that now I can't talk to this person who I have spent so many mornings sending my Wordle score to, Yeah, right? Like it's gonna feel bad, but it's feeling bad with a goal in mind, yeah. right? To say like, I know that this person is actively choosing to be with someone else, and so I'm going to put distance between me and him so that I can pursue things that are going to be more nutritious for me, that are going to be more sustainable, that are going to to sit in 
all of the things that I deserve in a relationship with it, which is somebody who is emotionally there for me, somebody who is physically available to me, somebody who wants to be with me and not with someone else. And so I want you to do that, not because I want it to feel good, but I want you to do it because I want you to be able to find enough space to be able to find someone who's going to be more sustainable and more nutritious for you. And it is not this man. In this moment, it is not this man. Yeah. And I also want to say like, there, you know, Sam and I are viewing this through the lens that this is a healthy relationship on one side of things, you know, mm-hmm. like this is a good friendship and it's a good friendship to you. Everything you said, I mean, you, you, you wrote this really thick paragraph about like all the great things that he's brought to your life. I know there's intimacy in this friendship. I know there's value to it. So I hope everything that we've said doesn't make you think that we devalue this relationship. It's Absolutely just not. a matter of sustainability. It's funny that you said like, I want him to see that his relationship is unsustainable. But I want to say, like, how long do we stay here? You know, how Mm -hmm. long do we stay in this moment in this way? And honestly, I want to know what Sam's opinion is. But I think you should say to him, I think you should say to him, I think you should say, I love you. I've always loved you. Our friendship is really confusing for me because of the intimacy. If you cannot reciprocate this fully right now, AKA leave your relationship and turn this into a romantic relationship and not just a friendship relationship. I need for my own mental sanity and my own happiness to pull back and to reestablish boundaries new, right? I I think it should be a conversation because it's going to have to be in tandem because of how close they are. Mm. Eh? What do you think? I think he knows. I think yeah. I, I've never told a friend who I didn't know, like I've never told a friend who I knew wasn't in love with me that we're only just friends, <laughs> right? Like I've only said that to people who mm, I know yeah, are I wish, interested in more. I wish I knew more. more about those conversations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. Right? Like, oh my right? God, like, that I've is never... fucking so accurate. <laughs> Sam, we're so friends. <laughs> yeah, right? Like I've never been like, Sierra, just so you know, well, what about, we're, about we're the, just He could have been affirming it like, <laughs> you're such a good friend. Sure. I don't know. I'm not part of this relation. I I don't know what it is. But I also think that there's this trap that a lot of us fall into where it's like, I just need to say it in the right way and then I'll get the answer that I need. And I think you're getting the answer over and over and over again, right? Like he's Mm. told you, you're just friends. He's told you he's in a relationship. He has not told you that he's interested in breaking up with this person. Right. He he might not name her. You might not hang out with her, but he tells you when they're hanging out. He tells you about their plans. Also, it's not a red flag to me that they don't want to get married. Oh, you already said that. Sorry. Continue. but (laughs) But I think like... The issue here isn't that you've you haven't told him in the right way. I think that he knows that this is that there's stuff at play here. And I don't want you to get into the idea of I just need to tell him the right thing so I'll get the right, the exact right answer that I need. Right. He is telling you he doesn't want to be with you. Right. Like, and that's the important part here. That's the thing that we need to, yeah. to take away from this. And you can for sure tell him, like, hey, I I am interested in you. I want to be more than just friends. And the fact that we this can't happen means that I need to take a break or I need to pull away or I need to put some boundaries up. But I don't want you to 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 ask him if something's going to happen because I want you to believe what he's yeah. been telling you already, which is that yeah, nothing is fair. going to happen. Yeah, that's fair. Do love an ultimatum though. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Hail Mary. Um, oh, for sure. 
And we I also, always have different perspectives yeah. on these types of things. So like take Sierra's advice, take I'm a, my advice. I'm a sucker. Whichever. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. yeah, either of us at this point. <laughs> um, I, I just want to, uh, we've been kind of like railing on your heart. And that's just because we're trying to, again, broaden this scope to give you the tools, the language, the clarity to see how... This is not your soulmate. This is not the person. And, and if he is, it's not like this, right? Something's got to give, right? And it's not going to mm-hmm. be him breaking up with his partner spontaneously and then magically being like, I want to be with you. I mean, hypothetically, I mean, that is what happens on rom-coms. But. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yep. Um, something's got to give, right? Something's got to move. Um, and you, and you, you are the one that has to move it or else you're just in the waiting room of this other person's life. Um, Mm -hmm. but again, we've been, we've been very stern and I just want to say, this is so hard. This is so Mm -hmm. hard. I know what it's like to be in a a multiple year long (laughs) non-relationship with somebody that is ultimately unrequited and, Mm -hmm. I know how, what it feels like to make an identity out of that, to be like, this is a part, this is a part of my life, whether I want it to be or not. And this is at the end of the road, here he is. And that's where my happiness is. And to see that as part of your path and to not really realize that that's, that's not the fixed path. And that's not even the real path we're on right now. You're not on a path track to be on a relationship with this person. Um, yep. So I have a ton of empathy for you. Um, and I love your big heart. I love the love that you have for him. But you know, you know you deserve to put it somewhere else. You know you know, you deserve to find somebody who can reciprocate this fully. You've said it to us. It's just a matter of believing it. And also mm-hmm. like shifting your perspective about intimacy and friendships. Again, we're not in the relationship. I don't know how weaselly this man is being. <laughs> who knows? Thank you so much for listen, or for writing. We love you. Hope this helps. All right. Y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh my God, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says quince. You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know, I'm all about tackling our money shame 
and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. <laughs> Stop wasting yeah. you money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. We don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... Use the middle person. <laughs> Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. All right. Our next letter comes from Stubbornly Single, whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing from the fictional island of single badass women. (laughs) Dear Sam and Sierra, I am a 24-year-old cisgender gay woman. I've listened to every single episode of the pod and have been a JBU fan for 900 years. (laughs) That made me laugh out loud when I was reading it. (laughs) So thank you for all of your... Honestly, yes, we've been doing this podcast for a thousand years. Thank you so much for all oh, of your Was that a new musings. vampire accent? A thousand mm-hmm. yeah. years. A thousand years. <laughs> I'm not really writing to you today with a specific question. I guess I'm just looking for some validation or affirmation, or maybe I really do need you to tell me that I'm a menace to society who must be stopped at all costs. Basically, I really struggle with this idea of being single, and I don't mean being single for a short-term period of time. I mean being someone who chooses to be unpartnered for most or the rest of my life. The problem is that I love the idea of being single forever, but I also kind of hate the idea of being single forever, and it gives me a lot of anxiety to think that I could be 45 one day and and still single. I think my aversion to being single mostly stems from family pressure and larger societal biases. I know my mom's heart is in the right place, but whenever I'm not in a relationship and we're talking about my love life, the conversation always comes back to her dearest wish for me to find, quote, my person or, quote, my other half. She'll talk about how happy she is to have found my stepdad, and she wishes I could know what it feels like to find the person that, quote, completes me. It's even hard to talk to some of my friends about this, too, and it sucks to see their pity-filled expressions when I talk about being single. And then there's society. I feel like there's a contrived perception that there is something wrong with single women, especially those who are in their 40s or 50s, and that they must be sad, lonely, and desperately pining for a relationship. But to be honest with you, I am completely in awe of single older women. By the way, I use the term older relatively. I see these women as badass, successful powerhouses whose independence is attractive and commendable. It's a version that I love for myself. 
especially because when I think about how I would like to my, live my life, it involves a lot of traveling and living in different countries for short periods of time. It involves a lot of focus on my career and different creative side hustles. So even from a simple logistic standpoint, it seems impossible to find a partner that would be compatible with this kind of lifestyle. I've been in a handful of relationships before, ranging from serious to casual. And don't get me wrong, I did enjoy being in those relationships. It was nice to get to know other, another human on a deep level and share so many new experiences. But of course, relationships are also a struggle sometimes. And whenever there was tension between a partner and myself, I would be particularly affected by the conflict. I'd ruminate on the issues, feel anxious, and sometimes feel this chronic sick-to-my-stomach feeling until the problem has resolved. It's just so much easier to feel centered and take care of myself when I'm single. I have a much easier time focusing on doing those things like meditation, journaling, and hiking that help me maintain a positive mental health and feel good. And even as far as sex is concerned, it's fun to have sex with other people, but I've never had an orgasm with another person. Meanwhile, I have no problem having fantastic orgasms on my own. So honestly, having a dry sex life isn't really a concern. This is all too much information to say, I'm tired of dating and just want to be single. I am two months post breakup from my last relationship and I'm feeling really good about my new life. But with my deeply rooted fear of ending up alone, I have to fight the urge to re-download dating apps and start swiping. I'm not exactly trying to swear off relationships forever and ever because I know that I've got a lot of life to live and have no idea how I will age and change. But with my silly little headspace as it is in this moment, I just feel like I'm destined to be one of those cool, eternally single women. Can you validate that this is an okay way to live my life? Do you have any advice for how I can talk about my preferences to be single when talking to my family and friends? Or if you have any other thoughts and insights around this subject, I would love to hear them. You are both sweet, sweet treasures, and I will always be grateful <laughs> for all of the advice you've given. Much love, stubbornly single. I'm going to I'm going to call everybody my sweet sweet treasures now instead of my darlings. <laughs> I love it. It's amazing. All right, my dear, um my darling, my sweet sweet treasure. Thank you so much for listening and for writing and trusting us with this letter. Um I just like blanket statement all of the the societal pushback that you are talking about or pressures that you're talking about is real. You know, your friends, like not knowing how to talk about it, it's real. Uh, and your your mother's, you know, language about like complete yourself or you're finding your other half or whatever, that's real. Those things are out there. We live in a, not only do we live in a like patriarchal, uh, heteronormative society that pushes and assumes monogamy. We also mm -hmm. assume partnership, right? I think this is a relic of a couple things, probably a relic of like history of partnership being one of for, for like work, <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. for, um, for, for the, the community growth and, and whatnot. I don't know how to explain that in like a better anthropological way. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, you know, you used to, like, partner up so that you guys, so you could, like, manage your your land better or, like, kill For sure. kill the wildebeest better together. The wildebeests. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Listen, is an English major, not any other major whatsoever. Um, That's right. So, uh, you know, we have grown as a society in which partnership really mattered at one point, and now we're seeing that it doesn't matter as much for someone's happiness, success, um, you know, livelihood, 
wildebeest attacks. Like there's no correlation anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it's probably also a relic of our society loving love, you know, like think about like the the global beast that Valentine's Day is, rom-coms, the fact that like all of our um, our stories are, are, a lot of our stories are based around love and, and being saved and being completed and being the ugly duckling that, tur- duckling that turns pretty and then is desirable and, and whatnot. Like it's just a part of our the threads of our society. And so of course, when you go against that thread or when you go against that grain, um, you're going to feel that pushback. That's real. And my advice is mostly going to be like, yeah, go be single, do that, (laughs) do that in spite of that, do that despite that. And, um, you, you know what, like you, you ask us how to talk about that with your loved ones. Um, and I just want to say, like, you talked about it so well. You, you could share anything that you said in this letter to your mother or to your friends or to anybody who gives you any shit. Um, yep. And it, it is clear and articulate and it doesn't have to be more than any of that. Or you don't have you don't owe them an explanation of why, about why you want to be single. You know, I, you really could just say, I feel more balanced when I'm single or for ah, sure. Dating isn't really for me. Period. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think it's funny because you said that like our society loves love. And I think that our society doesn't love love. It loves like gender roles and it loves like compulsory heterosexuality, compulsory sexuality, compulsory monogamy. Like it loves that. It doesn't actually love love because love can exist in so many different iterations, so many different ways of being. Right. And like you can have deep emotional love for your friends, right? We just talked about this in the in the past letter, right? Like we can get a whole lot of love and give a lot of love to people who we're not sexually uh, have, like doing anything with or people who we're not interested in romantically, right? Like you can get love from, you can get deep love from a monogamous partner. You can get deep love from uh, multiple partners. You can get deep love from a relationship that's romantic, but not sexual, right? You can get deep love from a relationship that's sexual and not romantic, right? Like there's so many different ways that we can experience love. And what you're saying here is that like the idea of being single feels like a way to provide love to myself. And I think that that is absolutely fantastic and wonderful. Um, And I wish that we existed in a society that could look at all of these different iterations of love and see it as being wonderful, regardless of whether or not it is a heterosexual, monogamous, gender role, (laughs) completing relationship, right? Yeah. and that said, right, like I also think that there's that there's sometimes this like um, this thing that we want to do, which is like we want to take some of this stuff on as an identity to like prove yes. its validity. You know yes. what I mean? Like like my version of love is valid because I can put a name on it and I'm going to stick to it for the rest of my life. Right. And it's like totally understand that and love that. Right. Like that is something that can offer us a lot of validation and can be like an easy way to be able to talk to people who may not be in sort of this accepting and open understanding of love about like what it means for us. But I also want to say like, you can be single for the rest of your life. You can be single for right now. You can be single for the next 20 minutes. I don't care. (laughs) Right. Like 
I want you to do what is working, what is going to work for you throughout the rest of your life. And if that means that you wind up at 45 and you're a badass woman who is like kicking ass and taking names and is totally single and giving yourself all the things that you need, that's great. If it means that you're 45 and you realize and you're single and you're like, actually, I really would like a romantic partner and I'm having trouble doing that, but you're still a badass. Great. All of that is fantastic, right? Like, so if you don't want to date people, don't date people, right? Like you don't have to do that. And if it, if the time comes where you want to change your mind and you're like, actually, you know what I want to do is that I want to have multiple sexual partners. That's what I want. Or if I want to have multiple romantic partners, that's what I want. Or if I want to have no romantic partners, that's what I want, right? Like we are so capable of adaptation. We are so capable of change. And so I want you to say like, yeah, absolutely. My goal right now is to be single. And I don't want you to get bogged down with the idea that you have to make this choice for yourself now for forever. Yes. You don't have to. That is not something that you need to in at the age of 24 decide for your 45-year-old self. But if you want to be single now, if you're not interested in dating now, great. That's fantastic. You can tell people that and your mom will be sad because moms are always sad about all sorts of things in our lives. <laughs> it's true. I'm sad constantly, man. <laughs> exactly. So like um. it's going to happen. But I yeah. want you to I want you to like not get so bogged down with the, like, what if I'm making the wrong choice? I want yes. you to just like embrace this moment. Like dating's not working for you now. Cool. Then don't date. Be single. That's fantastic. Yes. I love that for you. Yeah, I think authenticity is really about having the confidence or wherewithal to know what you really need despite your mother, despite the looks from Mm. your friends, despite culture and despite your past, right? You know, like say you were a, a chronic dater, you know, a serial monogamous and you have this pattern within you and you've just always done that. And that's been the way of, of, of your life or you are society with marriage and every, all the women take the men's last names and we're just doing that because that's what feels right. Like authenticity (laughs) is about saying, Nope, wait, 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 this doesn't, even though I've done this for years or even though everything's telling me to do this, there's something in me that's, that's, that's nagging at me. That's there's some, there's some whisper inside me that says, no, this isn't for me right now leaning into that, making space for that, uplifting that voice inside yourself. And Sam's right. Moms, man, we're suckers. Um, but more, <laughs> more importantly, like your mother's wish for you is a wish of fulfillment through the lens of her experience. And mm-hmm. is, is it um, a little ar- archaic? Sure. Or is it like not the best phrasing, you know, does it like, does it grate on your sense of identity when she uses terms like, you know, your other half or whatever, when you're like, Hey mom, I'm a whole person right here right now. And I might never want to be with someone ever. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like not the most ideal language, right? It's also language that your mother was given, you know, by society. She didn't come up with those terms. She was told those terms when she was young too. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is all I'm trying to say is like, this is her trying to say, I want you to be happy in the way that I understand happiness. And that is the parent's ultimate, you know, failure or shortcoming, I guess. Uh, It's that we always wish happiness upon our children in the way that we understand happiness. 
and vice versa. I talk like I know what the fuck parenting is all about with my four month old. And I'm like, listen, Temple, I just want you to be happy by going to sleep the way I know sleep. <laughs> anyway, just, try, just trying to That's shift real. your perspective on your mom's comment. Like, does it great? Does it great against you? Yes. Um, is she trying to strip you of something? No. It, will she struggle if you never partner in your life? Maybe. But Probably. it's your life. Again, it's about that authenticity, right? The confidence to know what you need in this moment. Say to your mom, relationships don't really serve me. I feel more like myself when I'm single. I feel healthier when I'm single. I feel more balanced when I'm single. I don't have time. I, I you know, whatever you want to say. Or mm -hmm. say nothing at all and say, like, chill, mom. Um, one other, like, side thing that I want to, like, throw into this conversation, a little sprinkling on top of this delicious bowl of conversation all right <laughs> sure yeah it's, it's the afternoon y'all we normally record in the morning <laughs> by the afternoon i have four brain cells okay so uh -huh. those single women that you really you look up to you aspire to be think that they're badasses like they've chosen their careers they've got like beautiful lofts i'm imagining you know they like mm -hmm. drink martinis that are not sweet <laughs> Or maybe they are sweet, you know, what I'm just trying to like and they love paint <laughs> this picture of of this these badass women. Like they are emotionally they are as emotionally complex as you are. Maybe they had these exact same fears. Maybe they in this very moment are like, Man, I wish I had a partner, or damn, I'm so glad I left that partner, you know, or mm -hmm. I uh, disappointed my parents by being single or I wish I didn't work so much so that I could actually have a partner, right? Like we like to paint these one dimensional pictures of other people's lives and say, you know, again, I'll be happy when I'm there. I will be better when I'm like that. Um, not really realizing that we're all kind of muddy in the trenches. You know, we, we all have mm -hmm. really complex, diverse, um, complicated desires that are often opposing, you know, I want, I want sex and connection. I don't want a relationship. I want to work really hard. And I, you know, I want to, I want to prioritize my traveling and, and, and my job. And maybe I want to date sometimes those things can be opposing. Um, that's, that is sort of like the, the recipe of life, um, that we often overlook when we're trying to like judge ourselves, I think. For real. Absolutely. So I think moral of the story is, Feel validated. We are validating you in this decision that you're making. And just rec just know that these types of conversations with your loved ones, with your friends are going to be crunchy. They're going to be weird because you're choosing something that is countercultural. Um, but you don't have to justify it. You don't have to explain it. And if your friends or your mom are feeling pity for you, it's just because it doesn't fit into the love that they envision for you. Um, and, and they've been taught a certain thing about what relationships should look like. Uh, but that they still love you in, in their own flawed way. Um, but you get to decide what your, what your future is going to look like. And, and that future can look the same as you envision it now, or it can look different as you continue to move along. That is the prerogative that you have as somebody who is, continuing to grow, continuing to age, continuing to figure out more about yourself and what you want and what you need. We love you. We love you exactly as you are, partnered or unpartnered. And we hope this helps. Absolutely. Thank you so much for writing. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, our final letter comes to us from Almost Broken Ben, whose pronouns are he, him, who is writing to us from Psychological Cage, USA. Content warning for self-harm. I'm 25 and I have had seizures for about four years. I'm stuck at home, unable to drive and work. My mother had breast cancer and went through chemo. She was bedridden for a long time. And even now, like seven years after the initial diagnosis, she can't walk. She can do a lot by herself, showering, changing, eating and such. Now about my dad. He had cancer when I was younger and surprise, history repeats itself and it came back. He continued working to support my mom and I and also being too stubborn to admit something was wrong and also afraid that we wouldn't be able to afford any more bills. Shout out to the whole government insurance thing. Mm -hmm. But my dad is also stuck at home now. We don't really know how long he has, but I'll just say every day he's with us is a blessing. I have two older brothers. One lives with my parents and I, and one has his own place. They help, They do help out with money and driving, all that. I say all of this because it's important to my little dilemma. It's been a long time since I've been in a relationship. Can you believe it? Me dealing with my mother's medical issues as well as my own made it difficult to get to the ball to kiss the princess. Now, as of a month ago, my dad is also stuck at home, so it definitely hasn't gotten easier. I'm afraid that when I get better, almost six months seizure free right now, I'll feel so lost. I've tried just talking on social media apps, but I've yet to find a quote potential girlfriend that is willing to just be friends and wait this all out with me. I've met Mm. some girls who say, I'll come pick you up, but it's for flings, just sex. Apparently my grandma isn't lying when she says I'm handsome, (laughs) (laughs) but I can't have them pick me up even if I wanted to just have a fling because then my parents would be home alone and basically I'm a live-in nurse. So I feel like my entire life is restricted by my condition and now my parents' conditions. I've dealt with depression and self-abuse, cutting myself, hitting myself. Luckily, after almost 10 years, I've gotten better at dealing with my emotions and also realizing just because I feel something doesn't mean it's true or that I need to act on it. But I'm struggling to try to stay sane while also feeling alone and losing my identity. But hey, I've gotten back into writing over 70,000 words into a fiction novel now. My writing isn't as beautiful or as wonderful as Sierra's. Oh my God, you're so kind. But it is a relaxing (laughs) hobby. I just don't know how I'm going to get back into the whole relationship thing. I mean... How do I explain all that? I guess it would be called trauma, but I'm so used to it now that it's just life. I mean, after seeing my mother crying in pain naked on the bathroom floor because she slipped while in the shower, I have a hard time really thinking anything is bad or watching my dad get out of breath after five steps and never getting out of bed. I've lost the ability to really acknowledge that anything is sad. It's like no one thinks of breathing as a thing. It's just part of life. 
I just don't know how to convey any of that to someone without sounding like a pity party. I mean, even writing this, I'm rambling because I have no idea how to explain any of it. I don't want pity. I just want to be able to explain to a girl why I am who I am. I mean, I can't hide it, but I can't just dump it all on them like that. It's not fair. Hi, I'm Ben. And look at all this shit I've brought along for you to see. Maybe you guys will say I'm overthinking it, but I genuinely don't see how to tell anyone that and expect them to stay. When I was first, quote, stuck at home, I lost so many friends within the first few months. I guess not being able to go out and occasionally buy them drinks was a deal breaker. LOL, fake friends, am I right? I feel like I've just been stuck in this psychological cage with no idea what I'm supposed to do once it's opened. I mean... I'm getting better. Again, Caesar free. One more thing that I am actually happy about. But then what then? I feel like I'm starting over. So that was a handful. But bottom line, how do I tell someone about all that? And can I really expect to get a true relationship out of it? I don't want someone to talk to me out of pity. And also, I can't hide all that information if I want to be close to them. So what do I do? It's probably an unanswerable question. Either way, sitting in my bedroom, tearing up with my parents finally asleep, writing this all out is nice, but I feel better. It's not like your podcast is going to disappear because I wrote to you. (laughs) So that's nice. LOL, bad humor, but please don't leave. We need you guys. (laughs) Uh, But all the same, thank you guys. I love you so much. Sincerely, Ben. Thank you for writing to us, Ben. Um, when I read this letter for the first time, I will admit that I started tearing up and I want you to not take that as pity because I don't pity you. Um, but I, I really felt deep empathy for how challenging this situation is for you um, and what you're going through. Uh, it must just be so hard to watch your parents go through these challenges. It must be hard for you to experiencing or the seizures that you've experienced, even as things are getting better. Um, And on top of that, to feel so disconnected from everyone, right? To feel like you're losing friends, to feel like you can't find a romantic partner. Um, That's just a really challenging situation to be in. Uh, And the fact that you are um, finding your way through this, the fact that you would trust us with... um, your questions about how to navigate this really challenging situation is so meaningful to me. Uh, so I see how much pain this is causing you. Um, and I see how, how much work you're putting into just getting from day to day. Uh, and I am deeply moved by that. Um, so thank you for writing to us and for trusting us with this question. Uh, it really means a lot to me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, Ben, I just want to say I love your heart. Your heart is all over this letter, and I love mm. it. I'm so thrilled to meet it. Um, I love your heart for growing, for, like, leaning into discomfort and and for pushing itself to be bigger and more open, and I can just feel how big your heart is. is. And I also love your heart um, for being afraid, for, for being afraid of putting itself out there. And wanting mm. still, wanting despite that fear. You're what you're telling me in this letter is I want connection. I want partnership. I want somebody to like share life with in whatever capacity that is. And also I'm afraid. And those things are hand in hand right now. And I don't know how to move forward with that, like that knot inside me. Um, 
And I want to echo something Sam said, like your letter made me sad, but that sadness isn't pity. It's because life is sad. Fucking life mm. is so fucking hard. And it's it makes me sad every day. You know, all of your letters about your heart, everybody's everybody's heartbreaks, every all just breakup listeners who have written to us, it all makes me sad because I'm a human who has experienced pain and therefore I empathize with your pain and and I see you in that. Even if I haven't experienced that, I can say, wow, that takes courage, that takes time, that takes effort, that takes emotional labor, that takes a toll on your heart, on your body, on your time, on your life. Like it's not pity to say, wow, I see you having an incredibly hard human experience. I see you in that hard experience. I see your mm -hmm. humanness and my humanness comes up to meet you, whether or not I can relate to that pain. Um, it's like kickball, right? Like you brought up the like meanies who don't choose you for your kickball team. Um, people who choose to engage with you aren't choosing to engage with you because they want to pity you or it's not, it's not a, it's not a pity friendship or call or whatever. Um, okay. It's because at least in my, let me, let me speak from my experience, right? My, my pull to your heart right now is not because I say, Oh, look at Ben's sad, broken little heart. I want to make him feel better by saying like, wow, it's so hard. My, my draw to you right now, me choosing you to be on my kickball team is because I see how hard your life has been and how hard you're still trying despite the struggle, right? Mm -hmm. How you're reaching out for connection despite the, the isolation you've experienced, despite the trauma of your parents, you know, mm -hmm. I'm choosing you to be on my team, not because you're the last person to pick, but because I see what you're going through, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's not about pity. And also if we change the connotation of the word pity away from the idea of a pity party, like I can have pity for someone and not devalue their experience or not trivialize their experience. Or I guess like I have a negative connotation with the word pity, but maybe if we just like yeah. took, if we took the connotation out of it, empathy is the word. Just yeah, empathy is, I think, what we're looking really? for. Really? Is, is pity, like, by definition a bad word? Yeah, pity by definition is, like, they're less than human. Like, I pity them. Like, I, mm. I feel sorry for them, but I oh, don't. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, like, I know the... I know the I know how it's used in, in sentences or society. Yeah. But I was wondering, like, where that... If it is used like that because we made it that way. I mean, all um, words are used like yeah, that okay. because we made it so that way. So <laughs> Google says the feeling of sorrow and compassion caused by the suffering and misfortune of others. Um, so I feel like we do, we have imbued this word with a sense of less than. But yes. its original meaning wasn't, fuck it, I, we, semantics. <laughs> now we're debating words. <laughs> Back to you, Ben. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's interesting that you call talking about what you're going through a pity party. Um, and I want to, I want to tell you that like talking about what you're going through, isn't you complaining for like no reason or you feeling bad for yourself, right? Like the things that you're going through are challenging. And I think one of the things that can be so hard when we're going through something that is really traumatic is that like, often it feels like other people are really ill-equipped to hear the things that we're talking about, right? They don't know how to react. They don't know how to respond to it or to hear it in a way that is 
affirming or to hear it in a way that that sort of allows them to empathize without taking that on. But you talking about your experiences isn't a pity party, right? Like you're going through something that is incredibly challenging in multiple different ways. And talking about it doesn't mean you're feeling sorry for yourself. Talking about it means that you are talking about what your experience is. And one of the things that happens to us when we've experienced trauma or at least this is true for me and apparently true for lots of people based on the type of therapy that I'm doing currently, is that it tells us this story that we're somehow separate from other people, right? The traumatic things that have happened to us have somehow Mm. damaged us so deeply that we're never going to be able to connect with other people. And what I have had to do in addressing some of that challenging issues around trauma is recognize the fact that other people still care deeply for Mm. me, even if they don't know how to do it in a good way, even if they don't know how to do it in a way that may or may not be helpful for me, they still care really deeply. And it doesn't make me separate from them. It just means we have different sets of tools available to us, right? It means that there are things that I know about my own trauma Mm-hmm. that i that are that i've been able to sort of build up the resiliency around the tools around the the practices around that other folks in my life haven't because they haven't been through it they haven't experienced it but that doesn't mean that they don't care and it doesn't right. mean that they don't empathize and it doesn't mean that they don't want to be there for me it's just that i have this story in my head that somehow i'm too much somehow me and talking about the thing that has deeply affected me Will and somehow traumatize them in the yes. same way, right? Where, where me talking about it will cause them the harm that it's caused me. And what I've learned over the years of of working on trauma and trying to figure this all out is that like actually people are really capable of hearing mm. these things. And actually nine times out of 10 will respond in a way that is compassionate and empathetic, even if it's not exactly the thing that would be helpful in that mm. moment. Mm. And so I want you to, first of all, consider going to a therapist, particularly one that that works in trauma, because the the two stories that you even talked about in your letter sound to me like instances of trauma, right? Sound to me like things that would be really hard to work through on your own. But I also want you to get into the practice, or I want you to remind yourself that talking about what you're going through isn't enacting harm on other people, right? And isn't a pity party. It's talking about your experiences, right? And we all know, and I shouldn't say we all know, right? There's definitely a difference between like emotionally offloading on people and then also like talking to them about your experience. But I think that you're going to err on the side of not talking enough about it than you are on talking too much about it. Yeah. So I want you to practice what it looks like to say, here's what I'm going through. I know that it's really challenging. I know that it sucks. I don't necessarily even need anything from you, but I want you to see me or I want you to know what's going on because I want to be able to talk about it without feeling any sort of guilt or shame or like I'm being a burden to other people. Yeah, totally. And at the end of the day, it's hard. It's hard to do that with people that you love and trust, like the friends that you that you feel like you're distanced from. And it's also really hard. It's even harder, I would say, to do it with people that you're trying to date for the first time, right? Like yeah. that's really challenging. So I also don't want you to like 
beat yourself up for the fact that you're not doing it right or that it's never going to be successful. I, but I do want to acknowledge like this is just a challenging situation to be in, to try and date people while you're in this particular situation. That doesn't mean that it's bad or that you're doing something wrong. I just want to acknowledge the difficulty that's innate yeah. in that because yeah. it's just difficult. And it's not difficult because you're making it difficult or you're, you're, you're creating yeah. this story mm-hmm. about how like big or bad it is, or you're making it all up. It's just a challenge because yeah. most people aren't, aren't, most people aren't expecting this type of experience when they get on a dating app, right? Yes. Like they're expecting like, let's hook up or like, let's say sup to each other seven times before we actually do anything, right? Like so it is challenging. I'll just say that. And, and you're not making up that it's challenging. Yeah. You're not making up that it's hard. Yeah. Taking care of your parents, dealing with chronic health issues, it's heavy. It changes the trajectory of our lives. It, it limits us. That's all very real. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about pity one more time. <laughs> Sorry. I was like sitting here thinking about the word pity. Uh, <clears throat> and I think we have like all the definitions I saw online are just like to feel sympathy for someone, to have sorrow for what they're going through. I think we now understand that word to be associated with pity party, which is a bad thing, right? You know, when you have saviorism or you look down on someone and say, oh, I'm so sorry you're going through this in a way of like, oh, thank God I'm not going through it or something like that, you know? Yeah. But I, I also think, think pity does is like, it's like a separate thing. It's like, yes, oh, I feel yeah, so yeah. bad it's that like you're going through versus that. sympathy versus empathy, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But like, I also think I I wonder if some of our resistance to pity and the idea of a pity party, like where that comes from, is could also be like tracked back to our our lack of vulnerability as a culture. Like mm-hmm. the that people feel sorry for us and that means we are weaker. Or people feel pity for us and that means they look down on us. Um, or like I'm trying to think about how it's so relatable that Ben writes, I don't want people to have pity for me. I don't want them to have this pity party of a dating experience, you know? And and what I think he's saying or like what I read behind that and what I've heard from other people when I say, when you know, what I've meant when I said, don't pity me is like, I've got it all together. I, you know, like I'm not, you know, you don't need to fix this for me. I, I'm not gonna unload my vulnerability on you. Don't worry, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas like, and I know I'm like going out on a weird tangent limb here, but like, I want a pity party. Like, let's throw a fucking pity party where we talk about our fucking feelings. We have yeah. those pointy little birthday hats. There's cake. There's decorated napkins, you know, like, um, and I, I want, I want a world in which we are not. Again, I know there's like weird semantics around the word pity, which we've already covered, but I was just sitting here thinking like, is it, what is wrong with letting people see that we're struggling? What is wrong with asking for help or, or, or coming at it, for example, a dating experience saying like, my life is really complicated right now. My life is really challenging right now. What taught Mm -hmm. us culturally that we need to be perfect in order to be lovable or to be, you know, we need to be clean and neat and compact in order to make a good dinner date. Sam's totally right. This does fucking complicate life. This does make dating harder, period, right? We have Mm -hmm. been taught these things. And also, our show wouldn't be our show if we didn't say, like, what if in the future world, in the post 
just break up podcast world. <laughs> you know, we did it. We weren't, we didn't feel so like we needed to have it all together so much in order to be lovable, you know? So yeah. to Ben, like this is a perfect time to date. I know that it's logistically complicated, but in your, your heart is very lovable right now, even with this baggage, even with the complicatedness, you know, For even sure. with what's going on in your life, the grief, um, the, the health issues, right? I know that logistically it makes it hard because you are being asked to do so much right now for your parent and for yourself. And that can make it, you know, like even just leaving the house, I, I, I totally honor and see that. And also like, if somebody came to me on a first date and they told me anything about themselves that was beyond like what they do for a living and like if they have a dog <laughs> or a cat or whatever, mm -hmm. I would lean in. I would be deeply interested in your life story. I know that this is like an idealized just break up world fantasy that I'm having right now, but we are talking about pity parties here. So like I'm going to have a pity party. I'm going to invite all my friends, <laughs> <laughs> all the just break up listeners Um yeah. And I just also want to say, like, you talk about this disassociation you've had with these heavy feelings, you know, that you've gotten, um, you know, it's you've gotten so used to seeing this traumatic stuff day by day that it's like, this is just my life. How do I go? How do I go from this really difficult life to like a normal life and be like, hi, how's the weather? What do you do for a living? Because I take mm -hmm. care of my dad, you know, my sick family, you know, right. you, 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 you feel foreign. And I, I totally get that. But I also want to say, you know, you've gotten used to it. You, you've, you've become fluent in these feelings because you've been asked to, been forced to by life. This is the position that your life has put you in. And it has made your well of resilience that much more deep, you know, that much more abundant because you've had to, not because it isn't sad or it isn't hard or it isn't painful, but because you've, you've, this is just the cards that you've been dealt and you have, you have responded accordingly. Again, though, that, that well of resiliency to me would make you more that much more capable of appreciating every moment of being present in a relationship of having of being if of being able to honor other people's emotional complexities as they will honor yours. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that um I'm really into the idea of having maybe an empathy party. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I know I don't talk word, about yeah, yeah, yeah. the um because I think that like pity inherently involves a lack of vulnerability, right? Like mm, we're distancing mm, ourselves from yeah. other people. But I will say that what, when I've been in situations that where I have been experiencing trauma or where I've been in like a really hard place, I will often confuse people's empathy for pity, right? right. Like people are looking at me and saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I feel you, um, I I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I, I can totally understand that it's challenging and, and I can, I can understand the feelings that you're going through. And I've heard that and been like, mm. oh, you're different. You're separate. Me. I feel bad for you. Right. And so again, I want you to, to not sit in this idea of like, everyone's pitying me for sure. There are people out there who are, who are doing that, who are not practicing vulnerability as they're looking at your situation there may be people who are, and it may be hard for you to see that in this moment because the the story that your trauma is telling you is that you are somehow so broken that people can never relate, that people can never see it. 
And for sure, there are probably very few people in the world who are going through your exact thing at this moment. Probably no other people in the world who are. And there are people who out there who knows what it feels like to feel defeated, who know what it feels like to feel hopeless, who know what it feels like to feel like they are bored and tired of this, yeah. right? So um, recognizing that that your experience may be different than other people, but that doesn't mean that people aren't capable of yeah. at least understanding the feelings and emotions yeah. that you're going through in this moment. Even as you're saying, wow, your cat got sick, boo hoo, my yeah. dad is dying, right? Like, yeah. which totally, totally, like, absolutely, Real. I totally understand that. Um, and again, this, these are things that our trauma tell us, right? And, and not being seen in some of those, those aspects of how difficult this really truly is uh, can make us feel like we're, we're completely different from other people that will never be fully understood. And I want to say to you, Ben, I don't know what you're going through, right? I, I have never been in this situation. Mm -hmm. And all of those different feelings that you're feeling are familiar to me. And mm -hmm. I'm really sorry that you're feeling them. And I wish that there were ways that I could take them away from you, but we're here for you. We're here to, to see you and to listen to this experience and to say, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken because of this. And we recognize how big of a challenge it is. And we hope that you find ways to move through it. Uh, because it is really challenging. It's really, yeah. it's really just a shit situation to be stuck in this place where you feel so, so much pain and so different and distant from everyone around yeah. you. And I know you're probably thinking, like Sam, Sierra. I just wanted you to give me a script about like how that I how I can like <laughs> tell this to all these people, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, we wanted to extrapolate and debate the meaning of <laughs> pity more. Um, but I will say, you know, how many I've gotten at least a dozen DMs on our Instagram from folks being like, just break up should have a dating service or you should like match up <laughs> listeners or whatever chaotic idea, you know, which is a very adorable idea. I just like don't want to like take on other people's relationship in that way. I just want to no, judge not. them and talk about them <laughs> with Sam from the safety of a microphone. Um, absolutely. Joking, joking. But. I will say, I think you should join the Just Break Up private Facebook group. And I think you should put your story out there. And like, I'm not saying like, go date another Just Break Up listener. Also, I've heard they're very attractive, smart, talented, vulnerable. <laughs> I certainly think so. <laughs> five stars, five out of five. Um, I'm saying you could go to that page if you felt like it and you could practice talking about it. You could mm, practice mm -hmm. putting yourself out there, um, you know, saying, Hey, I'm, I, and you know, like practice saying I'm dealing with this right now. And also I really enjoy this type of movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My, my father's having a really hard week. It's really hard to watch. I'm dealing it, with it by taking care of myself in this way. You know, I, I watched this show and I loved it or, or whatever, you know, you are emotionally complex. You are more than this moment. And it's not going to be like this forever. This is only a moment in time. Um, and yep. Sam loves you. I love you. Um, and we believe in um, your heart and its lovability. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, my darling. Thank you so much for writing. Absolutely. We love you. We hope this helps. All right. This brings us to the blind date segment of the show. Every 
episode, we like to shout out something that we love to set you up with. And this week, we are going to send you home with... A book called Iron Widow by Shiran J. Zhao. It is um, a sort of YA fantasy dystopian novel, which we all know that I love. (laughs) Um, But I love this one because it is... Um, it takes a lot of the tropes of YA young adult dystopian novels and sort of like turns them on their heads, which I love. I started reading the book and I was like, oh, I know where this is going. And then multiple times was like, did not see this part of this coming. Um, and what I love about it is that uh, the focus of the or the the main character, who's this um, woman who exists in sort of this, like I said, like post-apocalyptic um there's like aliens that have taken over like wired swaths of the planet and they're sort of fighting these battle against these aliens. And what I love about it is that the main character is just pissed about the whole situation, <laughs> right? Like I feel like there's so many of these like YA novels where it's <laughs> like like a Katniss Everdeen, right? Mm-hmm. Who like is so like stoically okay with the fact that like she has to volunteer as tribute and like literally murder other children in order to like survive, right? And this is like, she's just mad about it <laughs> and I love it. Um, there's a lot of queer stuff in it as well. Um, and it is um, written by... Uh, a person who um, has done a lot of studying of Chinese history. So there's like a lot of sort of storytelling around um, Chinese myths, um, as well as a lot of incorporation of stories and tropes from Chinese history, which I think is really fantastic. Um, It was really great. Uh, I loved it. It was surprising. It was fun to read. And it was like, just like this feeling of like righteous anger was just like all the way through it, which I thought was really amazing. So again, the book is called Iron Widow uh, and it is written by Jiran J. Chow. All right, everyone, thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes, but most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at justbreakuppod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise and tickets to our upcoming live show happening on Friday, September 30th at St. Paul, Minnesota's at the Amsterdam Bar in downtown St. Paul. You can get tickets at justbreakuppod.com. This is an all-ages show. We're so excited to see your masked and beautiful faces. Uh, Get tickets today. Remember to follow and subscribe. Give us a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. uh, And consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps our mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving us, no, giving them relationship advice. Uh, Just Break Up is a production of Duvid Media, original music, producing, editing, all magical things by our good friend Spencer Worth Davis, a.k.a. Big Cats. Make sure to check out his newest podcast, Finding Quantum Quest. And remember, whatever you're experiencing right now, whether it is challenging or heartbreaking, beautiful, joyful, it's only a moment in time. It will not be like this forever. Time is our ally. In tandem with the resiliency of our heart, time will usher you into the next bold chapter of your life. And if all else fails, just break up.